We're glad you're all with us today. Let's read Joshua 7. And there we go. (laughs) Joshua 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, let's be specific here, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as the Shabaram and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And so Father, again, as we um, have the privilege of looking into Your Word It has been well said that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And for those dark areas, this really is how you shed light into our lives. And so we pray for that very illumination that can only be given by your Spirit as we study today. Speak clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 My name is John, and I watch Nicholas Sparks movies. Hi, John. Okay, my name is John, and I watch Nicholas Sparks movies. Okay, it didn't always happen that way. But back in 2007, it was Valentine's Day. Wife had the pick of the movies necessarily because that's what we do, guys, on Valentine's Day. She gets to pick it, so we're not watching Lethal Weapon. We're not watching Die Hard. We're watching Nicholas Sparks movies on Valentine's Day. When Harry Met Sally, what kind of movies we're watching on Valentine's Day? And so 2007, she wants to rent a movie called A Walk to Remember. Now... In a movie that lasts an hour and 42 minutes, you know that when the couple that is in conflict and they want nothing to do with each other, you know when they finally get together 55 minutes into the movie, you know that there's got to be a tragedy. Someone's going to die. All right? You know that somebody's going to die. You know that there's going to be some sort of a tragedy. And knowing scripts the way I do, I looked at my wife 55 minutes into the movie, and I looked at her and I said, you got to be kidding me. One of them dies now, right? And she's like, how did you know? All right? Now, it's not a proven statistic. Sure enough, the girl dies like halfway through. It's not a spoiler because the movie came out early 2000s. Okay, so if you're that far behind, then there are no spoilers. All right, but watching this movie, what I learned is this, is that all the ensuing Nicholas Sparks movies, I'm like, okay, what has to go wrong? When is the bomb going to drop? Bottom, 
ripped out from under the people that are getting together because that's how the movies always work. All right? Ten times out of ten times. Now, this is not a documented statistic, the pastoral observation, but if you want to test that, then go to Redbox, buy some Kleenex, and go home and watch one of the movies. Because as you're watching the movies, when things seem to be going so good, somehow you are expecting the bottom to drop out. Has that ever happened in your life where things were going so good and you're like, you know what, things are going almost too good right now. Things are going too good. The job's going too good. The relationship's going too good. I'm too healthy right now. And then, sure enough, the bottom drops out. And then after a while, what happens is this. We begin thinking, you know what, I'm so used to the bottom dropping out. We're waiting for it, anticipating for it, kind of bracing for it. And if you can understand that, and if you've ever been to that place in your life, then you'll be able to relate to where the children of Israel are at today. You'll be able to relate to where they're at today because here's what's happened. They've been blessed. God's hand is on their life. They are going towards the promised land. They're on their way to the promised land. All right, they've seen the water parted for them. The water is parted. The water of Jericho, it has stopped, and they've gone across on dry ground. They marched around the city. We saw this the other week. They marched around the city six times, and on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. They shouted, and the walls came a-tumbling down. You remember that? So things are going good, and now their confidence is up. But what we're going to see today is that their confidence goes to a place, and they're ready to just move on and move forward and go into God's plan, and it seems like the bottom drops out. So what we're going to take a look today in this message titled, What Went Wrong? We're going to take a look at four keys to turn painful moments into powerful messages. The painful moment is turned into a powerful message. And so that's what we're going to see as we take a look. So we're going to start reading verse uh, 1, chapter 7 again, real quick. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. This one verse sets up the whole passage. Here's what happened. One man sinned. In the ESV translation, it says that one man had broken faith. He broke his faith. And that is really the core of all of our struggles in this life is when the faith is broken because it never breaks from God's end. God is always faithful to fulfill his promises. If somebody lets go of the wheel, it's never him. It's always us. And so all of life's problems can be traced back to, drilled back into us not believing that God is who he says he is, that he's watching, that he cares, that he can deliver us, that he can help us, and that he can heal us. And so we stop trusting we start relying on our own resources, and that's usually when we get in trouble. Maybe you found that true in your lives. See, when you sit down in a chair, if that chair breaks, if this chair breaks when I sit in it, then I'm going to be very hesitant before I sit in, on it again, right? If it breaks. I'm not going to trust it. And that's what happens with us. It's like God is faithful. He's ever faithful, but we're the ones that usually take our eyes off of him. Didn't, isn't that what happened to Peter? 
Do you remember during the storm when he was in the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the water? He said, hey, I want to do that. Jesus said, come on, come do it. And what happens is, is that as Peter is looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water. When he sees the storm, the storm catches his eye. Maybe it was a wave. Maybe it was a, a bigger wave than he was used to seeing. Catches it out of his eye. And what happens is he takes his eye off Jesus. And what happens? And down he goes. Broke faith. Just for a moment, he took his eyes off of God. And when we take our eyes off of God, that's when the heartache, that's when the struggle begins because we're starting to depend on our own resources, our own wisdom, our own provision, our own strength. And usually when we do that, it leads to these symptoms. Depression. Depression. We become hopeless because we put our hope in something that's going to let us down, so depression sets in. Discouragement. How many of you have ever been discouraged because you weren't relying on God, you were relying on your own methods, you were relying on you, and you became discouraged? So there's depression, there's discouragement, there's also damage that is done when we take our eyes off of God and when we break the faith. And there's also destruction. Now what the first verse sets up is that the children of Israel were going to go into battle, but because of the sin of one man, because of the sin of one man, it would affect the whole camp. Now the Bible tells us something very interesting in the book of Romans. It says that through one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Right? And so one man's sin affects everybody else. And that's what the passage sets up. So we're given a little bit of a preview. And now we're going to see how the whole thing plays out by going to verse 2. And let's read a few verses starting there. It says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people but they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them down on the descent therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Stop right there. You see what's happened? What's happened is, is that the people were oh so confident. So confident that they went to Joshua after they had spied out the land and they was like, we don't even need everybody. We'll just take about 3,000 of us. We'll go up there. We'll take care of business. We'll be home for dinner time. We'll catch a movie with our wives and families and everything will be cool. The people are very confident. Why are they confident? Because they've seen God moving on their behalf. And so they send 3,000 men, but something happens and the bottom drops out because this time it's not a major victory. They don't see the water parted. They don't see the walls come tumbling down. What they see instead is 36 of their countrymen are killed. There's confusion that sets in and they tuck tail and run. 
They tuck tail and they run from the people of I. It says here that their hearts melted and became like water. And I don't know if, if you've ever been in one of those situations where something happened in your life and the bottom dropped out and your heart just melted and all of a sudden there were, basically what that means is that there was fear. They were afraid. They're like, is God left? You know, is God not with us anymore? What, what just happened here? It's kind of like having your team up by 25 points in the third quarter of a Super Bowl. I'm still shaky over that. They're up 25 points in the third quarter, and then at the end of the game, you're sitting there saying, did I just see that? What just happened here? Well, again, this is probably a touch more devastating, but nevertheless, you get the point. They are shocked and surprised. I'm watching some Patriots fans just grinning from ear to ear, but these people are shocked and surprised. They're shocked and surprised at what just happened, and what you have is Joshua, their leader, tearing his clothes, which was the ultimate sign of grief. They had been humiliated. They'd been taken down a few notches, and Joshua, the leader, because tearing their clothes, that was the ultimate sign of frustration, humiliation, anguish, and grief, tearing his clothes. Usually, the step before we humble ourselves is humiliation. Usually before we're brought low before God, somebody will bring us low before God. Something will happen that might embarrass us or humiliate us. And that's the thing that brings us to our knees and forces us to take a look inside. And you see, that really is where the first key that comes in. If we're going to talk about four keys today, four keys to turn painful moments into powerful messages the first is going to look like this. The first point says, well, let painful events prompt us into periods of examination. Let the painful events prompt us into periods of examination. How many of you have had a painful moment, something that happened and the bottom dropped out, and only when that bottom dropped out did you really start to take a good, hard look in the mirror at what was wrong and what was happening? See, usually the bottom has to drop out, but if we want to turn the painful moment into the powerful message, what we have to do is we have to take that pain and we have to do exactly what Joshua did. To this end, Joshua got it right. He tore his clothes and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And what Joshua is saying, God, I don't, I don't get this. I just watched you part the water for us. I saw you part the water. I saw the walls of Jericho come down. Why didn't you just keep us there? Joshua's having a moment of doubt. He's having a moment of uncertainty. And how many of you have had that same argument with God when something has happened in your life and you said, God, what is this? I thought I was your man. I thought you were with me. I'm feeling let down, God in a friendship that I invested in, in my marriage. Something happens and the bottom drops out. And only then do we start taking a good, hard look at what happened. It's an event that leads to examination. That's what happens, right? Some of you are smart enough to get your cars maintenanced every 3,000 miles, like we're told to do. Not me. 
but some of you are, okay? A lot of us wait until the check engine light comes on, all right? Some of you wait till the check engine light comes on, but some of you don't even go then. You wait until if the car starts sputtering and then it doesn't start and then you take it for the examination after the painful event. And it's when you take that painful event, then you go to the mechanic and he's like, well, if you would have taken it to me way back when, it would have only been this. Oh, but now it's this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Wow. But it's the event that causes us to examine Many years ago, I started getting a pain in my head. This was about 17 years ago. I was living in New York at the time. And I started getting this severe pain in my head, and it was unrelenting. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. I didn't know what it was. I had CT scans done. I had MRIs done. I had all sorts of testing done, and I thought it was a tumor. I thought it was a tumor. That's what I thought. All right, but then I went and I had the examination. I had all the tests done, and what they found out was that it was a tooth that had been so badly infected. Oh, by the way, you have 14 more cavities, but this tooth was infected. It had infected a nerve, but I would have never found out if not for the event. See, usually there are things that happen in our lives that God allows to happen, maybe sometimes that we've caused to happen. There are things that happen, and when they do, that's the time when we finally stop and we say, okay, I need to look at some things here. I perhaps need to make some changes because there's an event that's leading to examination and there are painful events. How many of you have lost somebody and that loss made you realize how mortal you were, made you start taking a look at your life, how you were spending your time, how you were spending your money? Because it was only after the painful moment that it prompted you to a period of examination in your life. That great philosopher Bruce Wayne said it like this. People need dramatic examples to shake them from their apathy. This is a dramatic example for the children of Israel. It's a dramatic example because they have suffered a loss. What's happened? Very Rocky Three here. All right, very Rocky Three. You remember Rocky Three, right? All right, if you've seen Rocky Three, then you know what's happening is that in Rocky Three, Rocky has won the title now. He beat Apollo for the title. Now, this is a few years later, and Rocky's in the best shape of his life. He's tan. He's making all sorts of money. He's looking good. But rising up out on the street is Mr. T. First name, Mr. Middle name is the dot. Last name, T. Clubber Lang is working out, and he's got the eye of the tiger. All right? And what happens is, is that Rocky takes a savage beating. He loses the title. His trainer dies. And Rocky at that moment has painful events that force him to examination. Apollo comes knocking on his door and he says, my man, you've lost the eye. Yeah, what are you talking about? He said, you've lost, the, you've lost the eye of the tiger. All right? You've lost the eye of the tiger. And it was the painful moment that made him take a look and to see what he really had to do in order to come back. <laughs> we would do well. We would do well, church, before we have the painful event to keep our focus where it should be. How many painful events could have been avoided if our focus would have been on God in the first place? And then maybe that event wouldn't have happened. And if that event did happen, simply because we're living in a fallen world, if that event did happen, then what would happen with us maybe is that we would be able to handle that event that much better and it wouldn't be quite so devastating. What happens here is that Joshua is tearing his clothes and he's saying, what did, what did you do? What happened? Verse 9 
It says, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it, Joshua says, and surround us, cut off our name from the earth, then what will you do for your great name? So Joshua is questioning God, kind of like the same way that we do when something goes wrong. Lord, I thought that this was going a lot better, and now something went wrong, and now I don't know what to do because of it. There's an event that causes examination. Folks, if you're not examining yourself right now, if you're not at a point where you're getting with God regularly, just sitting in His presence and saying, God, you know what? Show me who you are. Show me who I am. That's examination. That's a true examination. That's the kind of examination that we need. Is that examination that's before God and Him saying, listen, I wired you. I numbered the hairs on your head. I have a plan for your life, but unless you come to me and you let me examine you and cut away some of the excess, take away some of those fleshly desires, unless you do that, you're not going to have the thing that I want. So maybe there's a pruning process. Maybe there's a struggle that, that you're allowed to endure. Maybe there's a painful event like your army getting its tail whipped. So there is the painful event. Let the pain, and the, the first key again is letting the painful event prompt us into periods of examination. So if you're going through that painful moment in your life right now, let it prompt you to go before the great physician so that he can make the correct diagnosis because that's his specialty. That's what he's best at. Verse 10 says this, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? <coughs> Israel has sinned. How many of you have friends like that in your life? When you're, when you're down and when you're like on your face and you're kind of like, come on, get up, let's go. Come on, get up, let's go. Let's go for a cup of coffee. Let's grab a bite to eat. God's saying, Josh, get up. I'm going to explain to you what has happened here. <coughs> Israel had sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. Now remember this, that God gave them one command when they went into Jericho. You shout, the walls come down, you go in, you take everything, but you, you, you burn everything and you don't take the spoil. That was the only command that he gave him. That's the only command that he gave the army. Don't touch the spoil. Don't touch that stuff. And that's the one thing they do. Does it remind you of another story in the Bible somewhere? I don't know, the whole Adam and Eve thing maybe? All right, doesn't it remind you of the one thing, the one thing they were told, don't touch? All right, so God says, Israel has sinned. My covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their back because their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourself for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Verse 14, In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the households which the Lord takes shall come by man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel stop right there I want you to notice one thing real quick and it says here that in verse 10 he says Joshua get up in verse 13 he says get up when you get knocked down by life does God want you to stay down no he wants you to get up all right he can take anything that has knocked you down and he can 
He can take that thing and he can give you the instruction you need because Joshua has come before him for an examination and the examination has led to revelation and the revelation said this, it wasn't me that broke my faithfulness, it was you guys. You did the one thing that I asked you not to do and there's sin in the camp, Josh. There's sin in the camp. And if there's sin in the camp, we got to take care of it because I can't allow sin in the camp. Application to our lives. When something's going wrong in your life and there's a struggle, our first instinct is to just ask God, sometimes maybe even blame God. But one thing that we have to ask is this, is that are we not feeling His power? Are we not living out His plan? Are we not experiencing His person because there's sin in our camp? Because there's sin in our camp. Is that the reason we're not being allowed to grow? Is that the reason we're not being allowed to flourish as people, as families? Is that the reason? Is there sin in the camp? And this brings us to the second key. The second key to turn painful moments into powerful messages. The first was we should let the painful events prompt us into periods of examination. But the second point says is that that examination will lead to revelation if we bring it before God. If we bring the problem before God, if we bring the challenge before God, and we're honestly saying, Lord, you help me understand this. I'm sitting before you today with your word, and I don't know what just happened, and I'm just trying to figure out this painful event that happened in my life. And you go before him, do you think your heavenly father is not going to answer you? Do you think he's not going to reveal himself to you? Ask, ye shall receive. Seek, ye shall find. Church, finish the sentence, and the door shall be open to you. Let me ask you something. Is your first instinct when you suffer that defeat and you have that event, is your first instinct to say, okay, I, I've got to get here. Shut the door. Turn the ringer off. Get to the beach. Do something. I've got to get here because I need some help, Lord. I need you to understand that and that if there's something in me that is not right, please make it right so that we can correct it and move forward. There's an examination that leads to revelation. God had promised His power. He had promised His favor. He had promised victory. But the one thing He told them not to do, and now there's understanding, and that understanding is being given. Why? Because Joshua went to God in the first place. He went to God in the first place for understanding. I have to say, back in my day, TV was better than it is today. When a kid had a problem in my day, I would watch the reruns of Father Knows Best. I would read, I would watch the reruns of Leave It to Beaver. All right, whenever the kids on the show had a problem, they could always go to like the all-knowing father figure. That's not the picture that's being painted of dad today, and it's largely because dads haven't stepped up to the plate today. But what it used to be, was that they could go to Michael Landon and Michael Landon could put half pine on his knee or Bill Cosby could bring the kids together and bring the family together and they could explain what was going wrong and they could explain what was going down so the kids could make the necessary adjustment. That's the kind of dad we got. 
That's the kind of father we have. Somebody that's not afraid to go to Joshua. Listen, Joshua, let's talk turkey. You're down on your face right now. I don't want you to stay there. I want you to get up. But as you get up, understand what went wrong. Understand what you have to do because of it to correct it and don't stay where you're at. You have a heavenly father that loves you enough too much to allow you to stay where you're at. So how many of you have gone through some drama trauma right now and you're saying, okay, I get this, that God loves me and that's why I'm going through it. That's a hard thing to say. It's hard to say that God loves me and that's why I've been allowed to go through this thing that I'm going through right now because so many of you are sitting there saying, well, if God loves me, I wish sometimes he would love me less, right? Love me a little bit less. Make it a little bit easier, this road that I'm going down and the thing that I'm going through right now. Because there's an examination that leads to revelation. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is sitting there saying, God, I'm struggling. It's a stumbling block to me to see evil people succeed out there. That's a stumbling block to me. And he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord. And in that psalm, in Psalm 73, it's one of my favorite psalms. It's it's one of my favorite ones to read. Because when the psalmist goes into the sanctuary of the Lord, it says, then... God gave me understanding of what was happening, what was going wrong. You see, God has told Joshua, listen, this is what's going wrong. There's sin in the camp. This is what you have to do about it. You have to get rid of it. And if we're going to proceed, because I'm not going to be with you through one more battle unless you do something about it. Now, sometimes you're going through drama trauma because we're just living in a fallen world. Right? Sometimes we're just living in a fallen world, and sometimes that's why we're going through some of the things that we're going through. But you know darn well that there are some things that we're going through because we've brought them on ourselves. The question is this, is that are you willing to stand before God and say, listen, I want you to reveal what it is. I want you to seek the deep things in me. I want you to cleanse me, Lord. I want you to purify me. So I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to listen to the pastor. I'm going to listen to worship music. And as I'm sitting alone before you in your presence, would you show me the things I need to correct? Show me how to get out of the bind that I'm in right now. Please show me. Do you think he won't? But, but, if you go out with him saying, you know what? I'll give him this and this but I'm not going to let him into this room of the house. I'm not going to let him onto my phone. You can't have that area, God. I'm not going to let him into my bank account. I'm not going to let you there. If there's sin in our lives, the Bible says that God is too pure to look on our sin and bless you. See, as children of God, There's a gift called eternal life. We get that the moment we go to him and we repent of our sins. That is a free gift that has been made available to us. But if I were to ask everybody in this room, you're in church. So my guess is that if I were to ask you, I want to access God's power in my life, then he's going to deal with the sin in your life. That's a non-negotiable to him. Dealing with the sin in our lives. Why? Because he desires, and his main desire for us is to transform us, to transform us into the likeness of his son. That's his desire in our life. And he'll allow situations that will test you, that will, that will try you, that will tear you apart in order to make sure that he has your entire heart. This is what the word does, man. This is crazy what this, what this word does. All right? It gives us the right teaching. It tells us what to do. It tells us what not to do. It tells us what to do when we've done something we're not supposed to do. And it tells us how to do it. 
That's the word of God. And so when we honestly say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to spend some time and please reveal the areas of my heart that need healing, the things in my heart that need correction. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? You see, there are some times where we'll say, listen, are you willing to do this? And a loud shout through the church will go, amen, I'm willing. But are you willing to let them clean up the areas? Because these are the messages that are not getting preached a lot in the church today about sin. And that's what it is. So we call it for what it is. There is sin in the camp because of the sin in the camp. Serious consequences. So Joshua, you've been told now what's wrong. You know what's wrong. If I were to ask some of you as to what's holding you back right now in your life, you could answer it, quite honestly. But it's not a question as to whether or not you can answer it. The question is whether or not you'll do something about it when God wants to clean it up and when He comes in and says, okay, this is where we need to go from here. We need to do some spring cleaning, you and I, in your heart. That's what we need to do. Are you mine or are you not? Well, you know I'm yours, Lord. I repented. Yes, I know that. That's not the question I asked. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Verse 16. So the sin in the camp has been revealed. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarites, and he brought the family of the Zarites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. These guys had some great names, Zarites, Zabdi. Then he brought his household, he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to Him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And understand this, is that when sin is confessed, God is glorified. When sin is confessed, God is glorified. So in other words, Achan, listen, come clean because the truth will what? It will set you free. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there was hidden in his tent and with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, wait for a church, the silver, the garments, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep, his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised them over a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Stop right there. There has been a reckoning. There has been a reckoning. Some of you are sitting there saying, Pastor John, 
how are we going to grow the church? All right, last week you talked about Joshua going in and burning all the men, women, and children of uh, Jericho. And this week we're talking about the punishment for Achan is burning he and his family and leaving them outside the city. Well, this is the Word of God, and you have to understand that the Word of God living, active, that God takes sin seriously. He never stopped taking sin seriously. Yes, you're living under grace right now. We're living under grace. It is by grace that we've been saved because we couldn't live under law, and we prove that time and time again. And so we have the grace, but that cross shows us this. It shows us how seriously God takes sin. Let me ask you, do you take sin seriously? Do you take my sin more seriously than you take your sin? Do you take somebody else, what somebody else is doing wrong, more seriously than you take the look in the mirror? God takes sin seriously. He always has taken sin seriously. His eyes are too pure to look on any sin and go, that was a good one, John, what you did there. I saw you flick off that person on 95. I would have done the same thing, but I'm holy in God and I'm pure. But the fact that you did it, that's okay. But, but I can't do it because I'm God. No, he doesn't look at that and he can't condone that and he doesn't okay that and he doesn't give the thumbs up to that and this brings us to the third key and the third key you have to understand this is that the revelation when it's been revealed what's wrong revelation requires reckoning reckoning is a powerful word that sin has to be reckoned with they got to deal with this can you imagine being Achan and having Joshua and his men go through man by man and now they finally come to your tent and if you're Achan man you are you're, you're aching. <laughs> Get it? Now, if you're aching, man, you're sitting there and you're kind of like quaking in your boots and you're saying, oh boy. Now Joshua comes the leader of everyone and he says, listen, give glory to God and tell us what happened. And Achan and his family pay a terrible price. It seems like the price is too steep when we take a look at it. He and his family and his livestock even. Why? Because we've got to get rid of every trace of sin. We've got to get rid of it. Are you ready for there to be a reckoning with sin in your life? God was ready for there to be a reckoning with sin. All right? Think of what happened as a consequence to Achan's actions. 36 of his countrymen were killed. You had 36 mourning families. Their army was defeated. The glory of God was compromised. People had lost their lives. Achan and his family, yes, they paid a steep price, but God understands, and, and what he did to pay the price for our sins, yours and mine, past, present, future, is he went to that cross because there was a reckoning at that cross with sin. And now, because there was that reckoning, we can receive the gift of eternal life, but each day, each day there has to be a determination in the heart of the Christian that I don't want anything to hold me back from you. I don't want to hold back anything that you're trying to do in my life because of my sin. And so there's got to be a daily reckoning when we're listening to the pastor, when we have the word before us and we're saying, okay, God, show me the things that I need to change. Have you ever just sat there and said, all right, what do I need to stop and what do I need to stop now because you're not going to bless it if it keeps going forward the way that it's going because there has to be a reckoning Charles Spurgeon once said, sin would have fewer takers if its consequences occurred immediately. And listen to that one again. Sin would have fewer takers if its consequences 
occurred immediately. So what is the best reason that there should be a reckoning? Best reason ever, hands down, if we were playing Family Feud, this would be the answer. And that is because God loves you. God loves you. He dealt with sin on the cross so that sin would no longer have dominion over you. He dealt with it because He loves you. Now the best reason for us to do the right thing and to deal with the wrong thing is because we're filled with this love of God and we know that God is in our hearts and that He loves us and that love so much fills us that we don't want to do the wrong thing before God because there's that love and there's that also reverence because there's a respect for our Heavenly Father. Every time we open up the Word, God is speaking to us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Every time. Every time you open up His Word. And if you're, re- if you're wondering where the deficit is right now, and if you're wondering, you're feeling like the children of Israel, they're going into that battle, and you haven't been able to move forward from that battle because you keep losing the same one. You keep losing the same battle. You keep being put in the same situation. You keep responding the same way, and you keep having the same outcome. And what is that called? Insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, My blessed nephew came up with the definition for no sanity, and that's thinking even the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. God hates sin. He shows it on the cross. God loves you. He shows it on that same cross. Chapter 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. You got that? Do you remember where we heard that before in the first chapter three times? Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Well, God is basically saying, Joshua, bam, we in business again. He's saying, we're in business again. You dealt with the sin, you obeyed, you did the thing that I commanded you to do, and now you've got my power, so there's nothing that you should be afraid of now because I've got your back again. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise to go to Ai. See, I have given them into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and to its king, only its spoil. Listen to this. Watch the irony in this. Only its spoils and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, laying ambush for the city behind it. Does anybody else see the irony in that? And the irony is this, is that when they went to Jericho, they were told, don't touch the spoils. But that's what Achan did. If Achan would have just waited, if Achan would have just waited and not done things his way, but had done things God's way, he would have had the whole enchilada, right? He'd have been able to take the spoils from this land that he wasn't allowed to take from the other land if he would have just waited, but he didn't wait. And because he didn't wait, Judgment was pronounced on him, but the rest of the people now are going to go forward because the price had been paid with the life of Achan. Verse 3 says, Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now I want you to notice what happens here. When they first went into Ai, they went without the power of God, and they went with 3,000 men, and they got a whooping. All right? They got a whooping. 
But now they're going with the power of God and with 30,000 men. And here's the plan. The plan is, listen, I want some of the troops in front of the land and I want you to kind of I want you to kind of bait them out to, to leave the city and then what we're going to have is the majority of the troops in back so that when they come out of their city, you guys can come in and you can burn the whole thing, take the spoil, take their land and have the victory. That's the game plan that is summarized basically in verses 3 all the way down through verses 17. And then verse 18 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. Stretch out the spear that is in your hand, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw And behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Stop right there. If you reckon with sin, this is the fourth and final key, the fourth and final point. When there is a reckoning, it will result in empowerment. When sin has been reckoned with, what will happen is is that you get the flesh out of your life. you, 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 You stop that flesh battle and the Holy Spirit, you give room to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. That's how it works. You see, when there was that reckoning on the cross, the book of John tells us this. The book of John tells us that because there was a reckoning on that cross, He gave us the power to become the children of God. He gave you that power. He put His Spirit in you. When you came to the cross and you repented of your sins, You received that reckoning for sin and now He freed you to become the men and women of God that you were made to be. So Joshua's got the spear up like this. He's holding the spear. The people are going in. They're taking care of business. The spear stays up. The spear stays up. It says here in verse 21, Now Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, that they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain. Verse 23, But the king of Ai took alive and brought him to Joshua. And when it came to pass, Israel had made an end of the slaying, all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they had pursued them. And when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Listen to verse 26. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Can you see this scene? Joshua's sitting there with his spear like this and he's keeping that spear up and as long as that spear is up, Joshua's staying faithful. God, what you told me to do, I'm not moving now. I've experienced, because of the sin in the camp, we've experienced defeat and we know what that defeat is like and I don't want to experience that then. So what you tell me to do, I'm doing until the job gets done. I'm staying in the batter's box until the game is over. That's what Joshua's doing, and he's been empowered to do that. Why? Because he's got the promise of God. He's got the Spirit of God. He's got the power of God. He's not moving. He's holding up the spear. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city, Israel, took his booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned I 
and made it a heap forever a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it into the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise it over a great heap of stones, and they all lived happily ever after. No, it doesn't read like that. And it says, and that heap of stones remains to this day. God's judgment was final. You understand what's happened here with the children of Israel. Something went wrong. The bottom dropped out. And because the bottom dropped out, they were forced to take a good hard look at where they were at. And when Joshua and the leaders got on their faces, it was revealed that there was a sin in the camp. And when they dealt with the sin in the camp and when that sin was reckoned with, what happened was is that there was empowerment. And the same thing has happened for us on our behalf because when Jesus Christ went to that cross, that was the reckoning that was necessary to set us free. Have you been set free? There's a song that we sing in the church that goes, you broke my chains of sin and shame and you covered me with grace. You mend my life with your holy fire and you cover me with grace. It's a song that we shout out to the top of our lungs and you only shout that song out to the top of your lungs if you understand the true meaning of what is happening, that there's been a a reckoning that has empowered us to be the men and women of God that we were made to be, sons of God. 